Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to the Metabolic Classroom, a nutrition and lifestyle podcast focused on the truth behind why we get sick and fat. What you're about to hear was taken from a live broadcast streamed on InsulinIQ.com. The Metabolic Classroom is brought to you by InsulinIQ and by Health Code Meal Replacement Shakes. Episode 26, Metformin, The Magic and Misery. Metformin is the most widely used drug to fight diabetes. Let's talk about how it works and the conditions under which it doesn't work well. This is a topic that I've also long been interested in, including some of the work from my, my doctoral degree. During my PhD, I worked with, I collaborated with a lab at that university at East Carolina, and, to, uh, and it, the focus of it was to try to better understand what metformin was doing to the mitochondria, because that's where the rubber meets the road. To understand how metformin works, you have to understand what it's doing at the mitochondria. Now, if uh, let me back up then as we start talking about metformin in that introduction it's it's uh we accurately announced that metformin is the most commonly prescribed or most widely used in the whole world anti-diabetic drug so typically that is going to be the very first drug that someone is given when they are with their doctor and their doctor says hey, you have diabetes or you have prediabetes or in other words, insulin resistance, let's start fighting this with a drug, and, and here's the drug. And it's metformin, but it has a few other names, including glucophage or glucophage, which just sort of reflects the fact that it helps. It's almost like it's eating the glucose, which is what that name means, but it's not. It's just helping lower glucose, and it does. So to just set it, to state it right up front, metformin does work. It does improve insulin sensitivity. And in fact, it does so, so well um, with some modest side effects, you know, reasonably, and I'll get to those in a minute, that I give it my personal grading of anti-diabetic or insulin sensitizing drugs. I give it the highest grade. 
it is so good at improving insulin sensitivity that not only is it used, of course, for diabetes or prediabetes, it's also used for other problems like polycystic ovary syndrome. Very, very commonly, the vast majority of women with PCOS will be um, pres prescribed metformin to try to improve their insulin sensitivity. Uh, it will be used in some cancers, certain breast, uh, breast or prostate cancers. Um, metformin has been found to help um, slow that tumor growth. Alzheimer's disease is even exploring the utility of metformin as a therapy. And, and all of this is given its improvements uh, or the, the improvements that it causes in the body with regards to insulin sensitivity. So metformin works. Now, let's talk about some of the um, side effects that you might not want or people need to be mindful of, and that is what it can do to, you, to, to the intestines. So metformin can, um, I don't want to say harm the intestines, but in fact, that's probably the best word. Metformin can hurt your guts. It can um, cause um, pain in the, the intestines. It can cause diarrhea or constipation. Um, you know, <laughs> those are contrasting problems, but it can do one or the other. Um, but also, uh, those may be looked at as inconvenient problems. It also can um, compromise the ability of the intestines to absorb certain molecules, including some very essential ones like vitamin B12. We need vitamin B12 in the body. In fact, uh, B12 is a bit of a unique one. Um, it's not, people don't often appreciate what it does, uh, but essentially, what you think of folate as doing you need to equate that to vitamin B12. So the reason we're always encouraging a pregnant woman to make sure she's getting enough folate, it is because you need folate in order for cells to divide. It's, you know, imagine the little fetus, that growing little baby in, this, in the womb, that there's a lot of cell division. Even mom, as she's experiencing growth, she has a lot of um, hyperplasia or division of cells. You have to have folate to do that. That's why we say, make sure you get enough folate. But you also have to have B12. Folate can't do that without B12, and metformin can block B12 absorption. This is something that is shown in humans. Humans taking long-term metformin do have vitamin B12 deficiencies. That matters because it can, can, it can cause significant problems, including something called pernicious anemia. Now, that's a topic for another time. Suffice it to say, anytime you're taking a drug, there are going to be everything that happens is a side effect of this molecule that is not a natural substance. It shouldn't, I, I, I won't say it shouldn't be in your body, but, but it is a molecule that the body isn't making. It's a foreign molecule that you're taking in. Everything that happens is a side effect. As with every drug, you simply have to weight what you want, the side effects you want against the side effects you don't want. Now, so those intestinal problems are some of the side effects you don't want. The improved insulin sensitivity are side effects we do want. Now, let's go back to that side. Uh, what we do want. How is metformin acting? I'd mentioned at the beginning that you have to understand what metformin is doing at the mitochondria to understand how metformin is doing anything really in the body. The best evidence suggests that metformin acts by inhibiting complex one. Now, what on earth is complex one? I won't go too deep into mitochondrial bioenergetics, but, but that's kind of where we're going. Um, Mitochondria, we call them the powerhouse of the cell because that's where most of the energy that a cell will use is created. So when we talk about burning glucose or burning fat or even burning ketones, um, that's happening in the mitochondria. So the mitochondria are taking these 
fuel sources, and then it is burning them with oxygen. And then at the end of this, we're getting molecules called ATP. And ATP is what the cell is going to use to get something done. It's going to move electrolytes in or out. It's going to be a muscle that contracts. It's going to be a neuron that sends a signal from point A to point B. All of those things that a cell is doing that we consider to be cellular work, um, the cell is doing because of the ATP that it has available. And again, you have to, you make the ATP mostly from the mitochondria and the mitochondria are getting that by burning fuel. Now, in this process of, you know, burning the fuel, so to speak, we have these different complexes and, and it starts, you know, we have a complex one, a complex two, a complex three and a four. And then at the very end, we have complex five or where the, the point of actual production of ATP, the energy that we need in the cell to get work done. It's, but again, we have complex one. We have that at the very beginning. Metformin inhibits complex one. Now you're thinking that's not a good thing. And, and it isn't. In fact, we are altering or even inhibiting or maybe even damaging the way the mitochondria are intended to work. So metformin is consumed. It is metabolized, taken into the cell. Now it's inhibiting. It's slowing down the rate at which complex one can work. That very first process, that very first step in actually taking the burned nutrient or the, the nutrient that we're burning for, uh, and then kind of translating that into cellular energy. Now that, that isn't, uh, it's not inhibiting it 100%. If it did, then it would be like cyanide, the poison cyanide. Cyanide kills people because it stops your mitochondria at those complexes 100%, you're dead. Metformin just sort of depresses complex one a little bit. You still have other complexes, of course, but metform uh, complex one is the main site, the main kind of point of entry in this kind of energetic chain. It's the first link in this chain. The other links are still there, but this one's just been dampened a little bit because of the metformin. And you'd never dampen it all the way, not even close. You would, you'd have to take so much metformin that you'd be vomiting and, and diarrhea all day. So you wouldn't be able to do that. Um, but that's how it acts. So it slows down the oxygen use or the metabolic rate in the cell. And, and uh, the upside of that is that if you have a cell that's using less oxygen, then you are getting less reactive oxygen species produced, or you're getting less oxidative stress. And that was the, that's the first, um, one, of the, one of the articles that we have linked down, down below, and it's entitled Metformin Selectively Attenuates Mitochondrial H2O2 Emission. This was the project that I was involved with as a collaborator during my doctoral studies in bioenergetics, kind of this topic. So that study found that metformin would reduce the mitochondrial production of oxidative stress. That's a good thing. And of course, that just reflects that the overall mitochondria is acting a little slower. Now, if you're acting a little slower, of course, that does mean you're producing less ATP. And indeed, that happens. The cell, you know, as we're thinking about this energetic chain of events, and at the end of it, we want to get ATP, the cellular energy, then if we're slowing everything down, we get less of that, and we do. And that is a fundamental effect, this slight reduction in how much ATP the cell is producing. It kind of is sensed as a bit of a stress within the cell. The cell is thinking, wait a minute, I need this much ATP. You're now only giving me this much. Well, then I'm going to try to activate more processes, more energetic enzymatic machinery to try to push this. I'm going to activate these emergency signals to try to push that ATP back up. 
And a part of this is by activating an enzyme called AMPK. I bet most of the people listening have heard of AMPK. And if they haven't, they've heard of AMPK's opposite, which is mTOR. And we'll get to mTOR in a moment. But AMPK is this, it's considered a master um, metabolic switch, where when AMPK is switched on, uh, let me back up. When ATP production is down, then AMPK is switched on because AMPK is going to do whatever it can to try to produce more ATP. And so typically, this is going to be where it's starting to mobilize any energy that it can. It, isn't, it doesn't care about building up new glucose. It doesn't care about building up more lipid. It wants to break things down. So AMPK wants to stimulate glyc um, glucose breakdown. It wants to stimulate fat breakdown. It wants to burn things. It can do, it's basically sensing, hey, the fireplace or the steam engine is running out of, out of steam. We got to pu push more fuel into, to fuel the fire. So AMPK is, you know, shoveling more coal into that old kind of coal burning steam engine to try to do anything it can to increase the energy output, or in this case, to try to increase the ATP production. Now, uh, that's a, one of the other links that we have in the show notes is a paper, in and it's a big one. It's a wonderful big review that I encourage anyone to look at if they want more detail. It was in the early 2000s, the role of AMP activated protein kinase, which is AMPK, in mechanism of metformin action. So it really is a deeper dive than I have time to go into here. Um, so that's the overview of what is happening in every cell. Now, to make that more relevant to diabetes and insulin resistance, when you're stimulating AMPK in liver cells, the liver is no longer, um, uh, we have a reduction in gluconeogenesis. So the actual glucose release or, and, and the glucose production and release of glucose into the blood from the liver is inhibited. And we also have a liver, liver that is now turning off lipogenesis. The liver has a very high capacity to make fat from, from glucose and, and anything really. And metformin turns that down. It starts to block the liver's ability to make, to make new fat. And of course that's helpful to the diabetic where you have now less glucose coming into the blood. So glucose stays low. And now you have less fat being produced, including less potentially VLDL and LDL um, remnants. Uh, so, so lipids can get better because of this effect. And then at the muscle specifically, insulin is stimulating, uh, sorry, AMPK and metformin is stimulating glucose uptake. It's helping pull in the muscle um, glucose and it's improving overall insulin sensitivity. And this is an interesting effect. Normally, the glucose needs, uh, the muscle needs insulin to pull in glucose. So there are these closed doors. The muscle has closed doors when it comes to glucose. Glucose is just waiting outside those doors. Usually, insulin will come and knock on the door, and then the door opens, and now the glucose can come in, lowering blood glucose because the muscle's pulling it all in to burn. When AMPK is activated because of, say, metformin, you can open the muscle cell just opens the door on its own. Even when insulin is low, now, because it, it isn't waiting for insulin to knock, metformin has done the knocking really through AMPK. So the doors open, glucose comes in, and now the body is more insulin sensitive. And one of the other studies I've linked here is that this can even happen in people that are already insulin sensitive. If they take metformin, their insulin sensitivity even gets better than, than good. Now I'm a little cynical and I would say, well, why bother getting better than good? And that starts to kind of lead us into this next, um, this, these next points that I think need to be considered because there's a lot of people nowadays that look at metformin as this clever way of, of you know, biohacking, 
they they kind of brag about how they got their doctor to put them on a low dose of metformin because they're so clever and and they're going to live long and be these metabolic masters. It just doesn't quite play out that way. And and that's what I want to get into now where the next two studies that I that I have linked, the first one is looking at the degree to which metformin affects muscle cells. And that that's entitled metformin blunts muscle hypertrophy in response to uh, progressive exercise in adults. And this was published, in fact, just a couple of years ago. So this is a pretty recent one. So if you are working out and you're taking metformin, you are literally preventing your muscles from growing in response to that challenging exercise, especially if it's something with high intensity. If you're doing something high intensity, the muscle is going to attempt to adapt to that stimulus and next time be better prepared by getting a little bigger. It'll make a little more protein within the muscle. Metformin blunts that, to use their word in that study. Metformin will blunt that. It'll help, not help, it prevents the muscle from adapting and growing how, how it wants to. And then in the second point of this in that other study is that, that we have linked is that um, exercise usually will on its own elicit improvements in mitochondrial capability. So Rich's long marathon that he did and was kind of, I think, more walking and chatting than running. But he, uh, there was a, that was a, an aerobic burden. If Rich had been working a little harder, it would have been an aerobic burden that the mitochondria would have sensed and thought, all right, we need to adapt and we need to make more mitochondria so that we can burn fat better and burn glucose better and burn ketones better so that we're more prepared for this aerobic or endurance exercise next time. Well, of course, that is heavily reliant on the mitochondria and metformin hurts the mitochondria. Yes, even subtly, albeit subtly, but it still hurts the mitochondria. And that's why that other study that I have linked here entitled Metformin Inhibits Mitochondrial Adaptations to Aerobic Exercise is so relevant because these guys that are look, people that look at metformin as a way to biohack and improve their body, you're not improving your body. These are probably also people that are exercising and are very diligent in their exercise. Well, the metformin is making it worse. It's, it's making the exercise um, be uh, less valuable than it would otherwise be. So in other words, you're wasting your time. Now, I'd mentioned earlier mTOR. mTOR is an enzyme that is kind of like AMPK's opposite. Where, whereas AMPK wants to break things down, mTOR wants to build things up. Well, mTOR is, of course, an opposite of metformin. If metformin is reducing ATP production, and then it's thereby a, a very powerful stimulator of AMPK, naturally, if metformin is activating AMPK, it's turning off mTOR. And that's very, very likely why we see some of this negation or this mitigation of the benefits of exercise. Because if you hope to recover from exercise, you hope to have AMPK turn off and mTOR turn on. You cannot recover unless mTOR is up. And now this gets me into my final topic related to metformin, which is longevity. mTOR is viewed as a villain of longevity because of the insect and rodent studies that suggest it to be so. And indeed, the evidence is very, very compelling. In these rodent and insect lab or scientific models that, that we scientists will use, we have found that if you can turn down mTOR, the organism is going to live five or 10 or 20% longer. Uh, so this appears to be quite relevant. Uh, so let's, that has led people now uh, into saying, well, then we just need to inhibit mTOR in humans 
and now we're going to live longer. And this has then led to a fear of protein, which is admittedly a little bit of a different topic. In fact, different enough that I won't get into it. Um, but mTOR is viewed as this villain of longevity. That if you want to live longer, you want to inhibit mTOR. And unfortunately, there is not a single shred of evidence in humans to support that. And I strongly suspect there never will be. To try to do longevity studies in humans are just so, they're, they're impossible to really do. When you're looking at rodents who have a lifespan, a, a mouse has a lifespan of maybe two years. All right, you can do that. When you're looking at fruit flies who have a lifespan of days, well, sure, we can do that too. But even there, the evidence is really conflicting. When you look in rodents, one of, I don't have a link to this study, but there's a, a study in rodents that found that, uh, that while the female mice lived about 5% longer in this effective, effective dose of metformin, the male mice lived 10% shorter. So there's, there's in other studies would actually also have other conflicting results. So there's not only not a consensus in the rodent studies that confirm the longevity inducing effects of metformin, because it inhibits mTOR, but there's not no evidence, none whatsoever in humans. There are studies that have been done, and they're only looking at one particular disease point or another, but to actually state that metformin is going to extend lifespan, I think is a gross exaggeration of the rodent and insect data, and it's an ab it is based on an absolute uh, ignorance of the fact that there's no evidence in humans to support that. And, and, and if someone is worried about mTOR, I would say all the more reason to be worried about insulin. Because if mTOR is relevant to longevity, then, then just focus on keeping your insulin down. Don't try to take some drug like metformin um, in order to do that. Now, just to wrap it all up and bring it solidly back to metformin, it is the most widely anti-diabetic uh, anti drug used in the, on the planet for good reason. It does work. It does improve insulin sensitivity. There are consequences though, including in, uh, uh, intestinal consequences in the absorption of essential minerals or vitamins like vitamin B12. And then there are more of these whole body consequences, which is to say that metformin works by hurting the mitochondria. And if you were doing something that requires your mitochondria to be working well, like exercising, and I would even say aging well, then you're not um, then this is something you should be careful with. Great. Thank you, Ben. That's a great yeah. foundation for this discussion. Wow. Um, I'm sure we have a lot of questions coming in, and I, I'm also interested in having uh, Rich and Carly uh, interact a little bit with you in terms of, of bringing the science down to, to helping a lot of our viewers. As, as you all know, um, we have this nice balance between the metabolic classroom content that, that Ben brings to the table from his work and his lab. And then on the other hand, we coach a lot of people, just day-to-day -day people that come to this space and, and they, they don't understand all of the intricate uh, science, nor do they need to. They come to us and say, hey, my doctor said I got to take metformin. Like, why? And should I? So, uh, can we have Carly, Rich? Can do you have? You, yeah. I'm sure you already have yeah. some questions. Yeah, Let's I've go got, to that. I want to say something before Carly steals my thunder. <laughs> um, ben talks a lot about the consequences in the human, you know, cell and the mitochondria and so forth. But for me, it's really the behavioral consequences that are most damaging. Just let's take a, a typical client that I deal with, and that they come in, 
They've gained 40, 50 pounds over the last, you know, four or five, six years. They're slowly becoming more insulin resistant. Their blood sugars are starting to climb a little bit. And we know that they've probably been diabetic anyways for the last four or five years just because they're, insulin, they're so insulin resistant, but their A1C is not elevated yet. So they're getting more sick. They're not feeling well. Um, they go to their doctor. The doctor says, hey, listen, your A1C is climbing. Your blood sugars are climbing a little bit. Uh, you probably have prediabetes or diabetes. And here is your pill. Not let's change your behavior. Let's, you know, look at what's causing this. You know, I've got another, you know, I, I've got other things to do here. Here, here is, and I'm not trying to dog on doctors, but here is your pill. This is what they've been taught. So they walk out that office with no behavior modification, no change in nutrition, and they, they, they walk out with that Band-Aid, and they take that for years and years and years and years and years, thinking this is all they need to do. And they don't change. They don't get better. I'm guessing they're not getting better, Ben. And oh, no, eventually, no. from what we've seen, that metformin stops working. And they have to go to the next phase, which is injecting insulin. So, yep. and not, I mean, lots of doctors now are jumping on the insulin IQ bandwagon and other amazing physicians in this space and are speaking out loud about the consequences of not changing our behavior. But to me, that is the most damaging thing that metformin uh, provides people is that they don't need to change right then. They say, hey, I got this pill. I don't need to make any changes. I can continue to eat the way I eat and I'll just pop my metformin. So, Ben, uh, they don't get better, right? I mean, make sure no. that's clear. This isn't a, a yeah. remedy for healing the problem. No, no, that's exactly right. Yeah, so I emphasized at the beginning how any drug is when you're putting a foreign molecule into your body. Insulin resistance or type 2 diabetes is not caused because of a lack of metformin. Um, if it were that simple, then that would be the curative therapy. Uh, so, no, no, metformin, as good as it is, uh, Rich makes very good points here. It cannot cure insulin resistance, not at all. It will treat some of the uh, symptoms of it, um, and it will attempt to improve the insulin sensitivity, But uh, and it can, but if you continue to insult the body, if you, if you haven't changed the environment that is making it insulin resistant in the first place, the drug will always lose, metformin will lose, and to Rich's exact point, all you will do over the rest of your life is have an increased dose of metformin until it doesn't work, and now you've graduated, so to speak, to far more consequential therapies like taking insulin. Carly, you had a question. That's a good, that's a good point, Rich. I like it. Um, yeah, I have two questions. My first question is, if I have, uh, let's say I'm on metformin, should I be exercising? Uh, well, Should I still I, I exercise? Do, I, and if so, what should I be doing? What would be the best for someone yeah. on metformin? Yeah, so I do think you need to exercise. That is such an incredibly effective way of lowering glucose, far better than metformin, um, and, and thus improving insulin sensitivity. And I should have led with this. As effective as metformin is, and it is the best drug out there, it is only half as effective. A study found, in fact, it was just about 50% as effective at improving glucose and improving insulin sensitivity as just modest lifestyle changes. That wasn't even comparison, uh, comparing to a low-carb diet. I bet in that case, it's going to be a, a tenth as effective. So I do exercise matters, back to the point. Um, but 
uh, it's going to be harder. And so I don't know whether this can be done, but maybe when a person starts deliberately engaging in more exercise, maybe they have to time the dose of the metformin. I don't know what the half-life is. I don't know when it gets out of the system, but regardless, I'm an advocate of exercise and think a person should, should stick to it, but there might be a way to get a little clever with scheduling um, when you're taking it. And then certainly it's having a conversation with your physician to see about changing dose over time. Hey, ben, I got a question. This may be a little bit off in the discussion, but you talked about metformin and, and the break or the, or the, the breakdown or the stoppage of that production of ATP. So if somebody's eating a standard American diet and a ton of glucose is coming in their system and metformin is inhibiting that production of ATP, what happens to all that glucose? Yeah. Yeah. So that you are, uh, when you're taking metformin, you are improving the degree to which the glucose can go into the muscle cell. Um, uh, and that can then of course be used. The muscle can store a very little bit of it. One thing that's very interesting is that one of now you, of course, there are two ways to burn glucose. Just maybe I should have started with this. Glucose is very, very unique in that it is literally the only energy of all the available energy sources, of all the different fuel uh, logs we can throw into the fire, all these different shaped logs, glucose is the only one that can provide ATP without having to be burned. You don't have to send it into the mitochondria for it to be used. In fact, at the end of that pathway, if you, as you are breaking down glucose and getting a little bit of ATP, and it is very, very little, at the end of that, you get to lactate. And what's so interesting is that one of the relatives, one of the drug cousins of metformin is a drug called fenformin. And the reason it was taken from the market is that it, it apparently did such damage to the mitochondria that you couldn't even burn enough glucose and you were getting incredible amounts of lactate. Now lactate on its own isn't necessarily a toxic molecule. Now they would, at the time in the seventies, they took it off the market because people were dying from lactic acidosis. Well, lactate isn't an acidifying molecule on its own. But when you're going through that rapid amount of glycolysis, uh, you just end up with a lot of lactate. So the person's not dying from the lactate, but it is associated with what was considered a toxic, in fact, probably is in some way, a toxic accumulation of lactate because you can't burn the glucose all the way in the mitochondria, which is where it needs to be. And so, yeah, that Rich, that, that is in fact the problem that if a person's taking metformin and they're still loading their body with glucose, in other words, not changing their diet from the diet that caused them to be in that situation in the first place, you are going to be somehow accumulating some product of, of, of the glucose, whether it's lactate's going to be higher and that's not necessarily a good thing. It is a good thing in the case of exercise, but higher lactate levels in a person who's not exercising is um, an, is a, actually, it's a sign of, of bad mitochondria that you're not allowing the glucose to go all the way and then get finished burning in the, in the mitochondria. You, you basically foreclose, you, you shut the doors of the mitochondria and then lactate ends up being the unintended um, consequence of kind of incompletely burned glucose in a way. And that's not totally accurate, but that's kind of the idea. Right. Hey, Ben, real quick. I don't, I'm sure colleagues got some other questions and I'm sure our clients do too, but and I want to be really clear, Ben, that we're not people's physicians, but I have a ton of clients that come to me that are on metformin, go through our program, and really become metabolically healthy and want to know, do they need to continue with their dosage of metformin? 
And uh, I'm guessing that's a question they need to ask their physician. Oh, for sure. Yeah, of yeah. course. I'm. Not, yeah, of course. Ever and by at this point, uh, is that a safety? Yeah. Is that a safety net for them to stay on metformin? Um. Well, a little. Yeah, but I know. I think we all know people. Rich and Carly, you guys would be the best. You know people who have stopped taking their metformin. They don't like it. It kind of upsets their stomach a little bit, or they're just prudent enough to know. I don't want to keep taking a drug. You know, there's just. I think that's a. That's just part of being, you know, an irrational adult. You you don't want, or even a kid, you don't want to take something like that. You know that there's something wrong, and that this isn't truly solving the problem. And so everyone is eager to get off their medications, and 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 they can, metformin included. Yeah, it seems like a lot of doctors keep people on metformin, even when they you know, yeah. turn things well, around. I, I think it can only be viewed then as a safety net. Um, but yeah. I, I would encourage the patient to be a little aggressive with their physician and just say, you know, why am I still on this? I don't want to be on it. Um, can we kind of experiment and see about, you know, turning down the dose ever more until we get down to zero? Yeah, that's good. Awesome. So are there, are there other alternatives such as berberine I know people have asked about that before that are helpful. Um, that seems to be kind of a metformin alternative natural. Yeah. Yeah. So the, yeah, the, there are though. So berberine is an interesting one, um, which seems to have a similar effect, um, you know, or, or in that same vein, it is not going to be as effective as metformin is, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, there is human evidence to show that berberine does have a benefit and so I think that might be, uh, yeah, I mean, I like it in that it's not as heavy hitting as metformin, which means it's not going to be as high impact with insulin sensitivity, but it's also a more, um, I mean, metformin is derived from plants just like berberine is, but berberine is just going to be a, a quieter or more subtle version of metformin and potentially a lot more subtle, but maybe sometimes that's all someone needs is, you know, a little, a little bit of it. Okay. Because, yeah, there are some times when people control their diet and do their best to control their lifestyle, but they still can't seem to get their glucose, you know, all the way regulated. Yep. In fact, that's exactly how I like to put those kinds of things like berberine or cinnamon or, or any, anything similar that has been shown to have an effect in humans. If someone's taking the berberine um, and, and they're, they're doing so in the midst of their same very unhealthy diet, then it's barely going to move the needle, if at all. Um, but if someone has really moved the needle by changing their diet, and now they want to move it a little more, well, now I think is the perfect place for those kinds of little nudges, because it will only be a little nudge. But once you're getting ever closer to, to great, as you've brought things down a little bit, then the sensitivity or, or the, the, the actual relative movement of that little nudge is a lot more than it would be otherwise. Yeah, yeah. That's a good way to say it. That makes yeah. sense. We've got a, a lot of questions coming in about metformin. Can we take a few of those? Or do, uh, Rich, Carly, do you have any other yep. questions for Ben right now? I'm good. I just think about cinnamon now. It makes me hungry. <laughs> let, me, uh, let me take a couple of these. From Mason, is there any research on uh, treating cancer using metformin? Yes. Yep. Yep. In fact, I mentioned that there are several studies um, to show that metformin can improve uh, cancer. It can slow tumor growth. Uh, and it can heighten or improve some chemotherapies. Okay. Um, from Julie, I'm, I am on metformin for PCOS, 
and also because I take a statin, what can I do to mitigate the downside of metformin? Mm, nothing. Uh, nothing that I know of. It's just, it's, you're going to have a side effect. Now, some people have very modest side effects, including feeling perfectly fine when they exercise. Um, but if the metformin is doing anything to improve your insulin sensitivity, then it is, in fact, doing something to, albeit mildly, hurt your mitochondria. And then, you know, hopefully the consequences of that are just so subtle that you're all right with it. But it, I don't know of anything you can do to mitigate what metformin is going to do on the negative side. Because anything you do to block the negative effect is going to block the positive effect as well. You can't, to my knowledge, you can't have one without the other. Now, Ben, but they can, they can, people that have PCOS can, can reverse those, those symptoms with just following a low carb oh, uh, in fact, diet, right? No, Rich. No, yeah, yeah. But you're saying that wrong where they can take metformin to reverse the symptoms. They can change their diet to, in fact, solve the problem. Right. No yeah. more no such thing as symptom. You've actually solved the problem. Yeah, because PCOS is a disease of too much insulin. Even in lean or, or normal weight women, they're still, their adipocytes are, their fat cells are insulin resistant. That was a classroom that we've spoken on previous, a topic we've spoken on previously. Uh, but yeah, so the, in lowering the insulin um, by, by changing the diet, you've, you've solved the problem. Right, right. Uh, from Matt, is there research about metformin contributing to sarcopenia in elderly people? Oh, oh what a great, a great question. question. That is a, yeah, that is a very smart question. I, I don't know. Um, I did cite the study finding that metformin blunts hypertrophy because of exercise, and that might be the origin of that question um, or, or, might, or not. Uh, but yeah, it does make it tempting to speculate that metformin could drive sarcopenia. Um, I don't know of a study um, that has found that, but it wouldn't surprise me at all. Uh, one, I have a quick question, then we'll get to some other ones here. So for, for the average person, and again, let's emphasize again, insulin IQ is not your doctor. <laughs> don't make any changes in anything without talking to your physician. But for people who are on a drawer full of medications, including metformin, um, gen just generally speaking, Ben, where, where does that one fit with the other ones? Is, is it like your goal is to work towards eliminating some of the others first? Like this is kind of the last oh, bad yeah. guy in the drawer or what? Yeah, yeah. Ab that's definitely the way I look at metformin. In fact, when I put together um, anyone who has a copy of my book, Why We Get Sick, I actually have a table where I have the most commonly used anti-diabetic or insulin sensitizing drugs and I give them a grade. I give metformin the highest grade there. Um, and and, and I, I think of it just like you explained that you want to remove the drugs that have the, you know, the, the worst effect. And then, and then you slowly you're moving, you're getting better and better so that the only remaining drugs are those that have much, much milder side effects. So, yeah, I think if you had a, if, if we had a, a diabetic and the person was taking insulin and they're taking a GLP-1 receptor agonist, which is a much newer drug. And I'll, uh, I can kind of elaborate very briefly. Actually, I won't. I'll just say that they're taking metformin, a GLP-1 receptor agonist, and, and insulin itself. I would say of, of all of these, uh, the insulin is clear in a way the biggest offender. That is 
something that is making you fatter and sicker and potentially killing you earlier than otherwise. So you want to do everything you can to try to get yourself off of the need to, you know, have your doctor de-prescribe the insulin first. And then, and that, so that'd be the one I would say be aggressive with. And then GLP-1 receptor agonists are a bit unique in that they do induce some insulin release, which I'm not an advocate of, but they also activate brown fat, which helps offset that in increased insulin. But I would still say you want to get off that one next, and then metformin would be the last one because the side effects are generally just mild enough and the, uh, the negative side effects and the positive side effects are generally just meaningful enough that that could be the last one to hold on to. Now, ben, can metformin decrease your blood glucose levels too low? Um, well, uh, it, it could, um, but I don't think it, that would commonly be a problem. It does, it does increase muscle glucose uptake and it does inhibit liver gluconeogenesis or liver glucose release. So you're, you're both pulling more out of the blood and you're, you're, you're putting less in from the liver. And so if someone, I, I, I could imagine if someone were taking metformin and they were doing so during this kind of early weeks of adopting a low carb, like if they went really heavy, low carb really quickly, then yes, I wouldn't be surprised if the metformin could, um, push the glucose to uncomfortably low levels. But I don't know of evidence to say that that happens in, in, in principle or in action, but in theory, I could see that it might. Right. Ben, what's the drug category of metformin? Big one-eyed. Big one, big one. The big one. Big one-eyed. One yeah, big one-eyed. B-I-G-U-A-N-I-D-E. Cool. Uh, from Kimberly, if a nursing woman is on metformin, would metformin also interfere with the insulin sensitivity that breastfeeding provides? Jeez. Wow. That's a good uh, what a question cool too. question. So first of all, I don't know. I don't know the degree to which metformin is safe for, for breastfeeding. Uh, you know, there are some molecules that just work their way into the milk. Uh, I, I have no idea. I don't know of any evidence one way or the other, but I would say that's, that's the first point of, of, attention, make sure that it's, it is in fact safe for breastfeeding moms. Um, I, having said that, I would think that there's no problem. Um, it would definitely not hurt the insulin sensitizing effect of lactation. So that is known that if a woman has say gestational diabetes, which is just very heavy insulin resistance during pregnancy, if she breastfeeds um, for even a few months, I think it was like four to five months, um, her risk of getting type two diabetes later in life is significantly lower. And, and there's just a, uh, that's somewhat reflective of the fact that breastfeeding just helps mom go back to being very insulin sensitive, like she was pre-pregnancy. So insulin sensitivity is part of the sacrifice that the mom makes, um, in, in having a baby, she becomes insulin resistant and lactation is almost like a built-in solution to the problem. The pregnancy caused the insulin resistance, now the lactation is helping resolve it much, much faster than otherwise. So no, I don't think metformin would compromise the insulin sensitizing effect of lactation. Not, not at all, far from it. If anything, it would probably just enhance it all the more. But I'm in no way advocating that a woman seek to take metformin while she's breastfeeding. And indeed, it may be something she's not supposed to take. Yeah. Uh, ben, do they give, uh, do they give um, um, metformin to those young mothers that, that are getting gestational diabetes? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Even, I even think it is one that they will use during pregnancy. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, Kathy has a question about metformin long-term. Is the extended release a better choice than the regular form? Are there two, two different forms then? I, I don't know. I'm afraid I don't know that. That's a level of detail with metformin. I don't know. Let's, let's say that it, that it is, that there is in fact a, low, uh, a steady kind of low release versus where it just kind of comes up and stays kind of at a low level and comes back down hours, hours later at the end of the day, maybe versus one when you take a pill and it's up and down really quick. Um, I don't know. I would think that for long-term insulin sensitive, insulin sensitivity, that kind of more prolonged dose might be better, but there might be something to, uh, to, to support the idea that, yeah, but if you want to take metformin and still exercise, maybe it's just better to take it and get it done with it's in your system, it's out of your system, and then you can plan your exercise schedule around it to help um, offset some of the harm that metformin does to the exercise. Okay. Uh, from Tanya, what is the half-life of metformin after taking it? I don't know. Good question. Okay. Uh, let's see, got some others... Um, Carly, Rich, do you have any other questions? I'm looking if there's any others here that are coming in about Guys, have you seen, you've seen clients get off metformin as well, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, almost, all the time. Yeah, almost every diabetic that we work with gets off metformin. I think one of the things that we have to realize is we have the, the drug industry um, because we feed that beast. And just like Rich's comment earlier about... Um, you know, people often just want an easy solution. That, I think, the more educated you get and the more you realize there is an alternative, hopefully the more people will see, you know, I can do something about this and and may actually make a difference with my lifestyle. Because I think, you know, I complain about big pharma, but, you know, making sure that not, me not and my big family... Farm. Not big farm. <laughs> no, not big, big farm, pharma. but big uh, pharma. Yeah. Yeah. Um, making sure that me and my family aren't contributing to that as much, I think, is is important. And trying to not take the easy route, you know. There's, anyways, that's just a little side mm -hmm. note. Well, Ben, I had a conversation with a new client this morning, and uh, my buddy from New York, and he, uh, you know, was was uh, looking at through our site, and he was just fascinated by your research and really by our tone. And he said, Rich, I've just have never seen a program that, one, has got such great customer service, thanks to Jack. And two, there's just, there's just no supplementation that we're promoting. There's no you know, pills. There's no tracking device. I mean, there's just no counting, measuring calories. I mean, he just he couldn't believe that this is so intuitive and that the foundation of it was really focused around curing that one problem of insulin resistance and not worrying about all the other uh, uh, symptoms that it creates. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's power um, in, in the, in this kind of clarity, I think. And that, that's of course what led us to the, to the paradigm that we have that a little bit of digging reveals the truth of the matter that you can kind of, you can to a very large degree view almost every chronic disease through the lens of insulin and you're looking at it the right way. Yeah. We, we often say it's simple, not easy sometimes, yep. but simple. From Leanne, will metformin affect weight once you reach the right range of insulin? 
Well, yeah, well, uh, I'm not sure quite in the way that's being asked yeah. um, is a little vague, but I would say yes, uh, regardless of whether you've reached the right insulin, uh, metformin is usually uh, going to result in weight improvements. Uh, it just makes you more insulin sensitive and it's activating AMPK, which wants to be burning energy, not storing it. So yes, uh, in fact, I know some people that are insulin sensitive and are given metformin just to lose weight. You know what? That's uh, funny you'd say that, Ben, because right after I read that, Sharon uh, chimed in and said, my doctor put me on metformin for weight control. Was that a good idea? Well, she's uh, no, I don't. Well, I don't think so, because I think there's so much more bang for your buck by changing your diet. But but it will work. Uh, then the person just has to say, is it is me losing a few pounds worth the consequences of taking this drug and the, and the, the cost, although I think that's pretty minimal. Um, and I would say it's uh, maybe it is, but it will never work as well as just changing what you're putting in your mouth in the first place. Metformin acts by basically offsetting what you're eating to some small degree. Why not just change what you're eating? Yeah. <laughs> so Ben, if you have a situation where somebody's been on metformin for a while, they're not changing their behavior. They're, they're, they're just glucose and carbohydrates are pouring in their system and metformin is trying to block that, but it just can't do it enough. Is, is that just like insulin resistance? It just can't keep up and it's just, they're getting sicker and sicker and sicker to the point where the doctor's well, got to yes, now do yes. something else. Yes. Yes. To a degree. Uh, anytime a cell is getting inundated with something, it will reduce its sensitivity to that something. And that is why chronically elevated insulin is a cause of insulin resistance. But that is also why a drug once started will only result in the dose of the drug going up. I am unaware of any exception to that trend or that rule when it comes to drug use, that you always need more of it than you did before to get the same effect as the cell is getting increasingly resistant to those effects. And you can't blame the cell, especially when it comes to drugs or these, you know, whatever these chemicals may be, well, drugs, uh, because they're not natural. The cell doesn't want to do what these drugs are telling the cell to do. It's kind of like the drug forcing it to do something that is having the cell work against itself to some degree. Now, again, there are occasionally some positive effects of doing that, but there will always be negative effects. So yes, um, as it is with metformin, it is with any other incessant stimulus to a cell, which is too much of it causes resistance to that. And so you need more and more of it. So the dose will always go up. Uh, from to the point, I mean, sorry, to go, finish that ahead. thought, the dose will go up to the point where it is simply genuinely harmful or toxic or poisonous to take any more. And that is when we, they acknowledge, okay, metformin has lost. Now let's go to a different drug. And I can't wait because this drug is a whole new one. And it's going to work really well for you for a little while. And the same thing will happen. And then we'll have to admit defeat. We've lost that battle. And then we shift over to the other one. Um, from Sandra, does taking metformin impede muscle building after workout by reducing reparation inflammation? Um, I, that's, a good, that's a great question. So part of the recovery of um, exercise is inflammation. And that's why there's this general fear in the bodybuilding community of taking anti-inflammatory medications when you're really sore. Sure, it'll help with the pain and the soreness, but by blunting the inflammation, you may blunt some of the hypertrophy. I don't know the degree to which that's actually been confirmed in, in human muscle, 
But I don't know that metformin, I don't think metformin would blunt hypertrophy or recovery because of that. It blunts it because metformin inhibits mTOR and you cannot grow a muscle without activating mTOR. Um, this is a question that probably there's no answer to, but <laughs> <laughs> why is Rich so good looking? <laughs> yeah, all right, that's it. <laughs> there is no okay. Um, if I get de-prescribed metformin, am I still considered type two diabetic? So I think well, that, I think what that person's yeah. asking. No, if, no I, yeah, I think I can I can attempt an answer at that. Yeah. But I would say if you've gotten off all medications because your glucose levels are normal without them, then yes, the disease is gone. You've, you've cured it. Now, what's so important to note there is that that is, a, that is a medical faux pas to say that you cure type 2 diabetes because it's considered incurable or irreversible. Because if you are trying to cure the disease with drugs, it is irreversible. You will never solve the problem. You will always have to be taking drugs. And the moment you stop taking the drugs, everything, your glucose levels go right back to as bad as they were, if not worse, because they were allowing you to indulge and in, maybe your dietary habits got worse during the drug taking. So that's the view. The, the prevailing view of diabetes is, it, is that it is irreversible, incurable, because the prevailing view of diabetes, type two diabetes is, this is just your drug prescription for the rest of your life. You change the rules of the game um, and the outcomes uh, when, you, when the rule changing involves changing your diet. And once you start changing diet, now you start deprescribing medications, your doctor is able to. So yes, if you're able to have normal clinical values, say normal glucose, normal HbA1c without taking drug, a, a drug, then you have in fact, you don't have the disease anymore. Yeah. But it's not the drug that got you there. And that's the clients that I've had that have had the diagnosis taken off their chart. It's usually like the doctor will test their A1C. Um, that's kind of the measure yep. they look at typically. Yeah, like that. I think that's what Steve Barry does, right, Rich? Yep. Dr. Barry yeah, yeah. on our team. Yep. yep. These are things that we have great control over, and we've been taught that we don't have control over. And uh, for those of, uh, who are in our audience who are new or have loved ones or friends or family members, coworkers, neighbors, extended family who are struggling with uh, what we call the plagues of prosperity and insulin resistance, have them learn more about Insulin IQ by going to insuliniq.com. We're always glad to have all of you on our stream. We've had hundreds of people on the stream today uh, all over the world. Awesome. We're so glad to have you, our fans and our clients. We especially appreciate uh, those of you, our coach clients, who many of you are, are watching as well. I can see your names. So thank you for trusting Insulin IQ with your, with your training, with your coaching. Thank you for listening to The Metabolic Classroom. This podcast is brought to you by Insulin IQ, nutrition and lifestyle coaching for insulin control and better health. Learn more at InsulinIQ.com. And by Health Code, the world's healthiest and most delicious meal replacement shake. Learn more at GetHealth.com. That's G-E-T-H-L-T-H dot com. Find us on Facebook and YouTube at Insulin IQ. Hold up. What was that? 
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.